because Ben has started a new Substack, a new Substack which is about philosophy. Ben, what's your what's your Substack called? Uh, it's called Philosophy for the People. With which, the... for having an absolutely massive Facebook thread and an absolutely massive Twitter thread, which you got, I think, hundreds of suggestions, is perhaps not the most ambitious name. <laughs> No, maybe not. I think it's I think it's the most sort of uh, straightforwardly descriptive. I like the ambiguity in it that the uh, that uh, it's philosophy for the people in the sense that the parts of it that are about political philosophy are bound up with left politics, but it's also philosophy for the people in the sense that it's uh, it's not just written for academics; it's for whoever. I mean, it also has the implication that we have to become popular, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> I, I was talking to the popular show guys, and I was like, "How, how, how popular is the popular show?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so philosophy, but the my impression is that we're probably not going to be talking about, say, Mariology or ontology, right? Uh... Are, we, are we doing philosophy, but we're doing value theory, or, or do you think we are going to talk about, like, uh, maybe some like uh, uh, teletransporters or whatever? Oh, yeah, definitely some teletransporters. Uh, so, yeah, Muriology, for anybody who's who's not... Uh, <laughs> There's uh, no far too many words. Uh, who's not uh, not familiar with that is the, the branch of metaphysics where we're interested in parts and wholes. So, like, is there an object that's constituted by uh, this coffee cup and the little finger uh, Donald Trump's right hand and... Uh, is, is there an that, object formed like a composite object of the two hosts of um <laughs> i've forgotten the name <laughs> um pop well, i've forgotten it's not popular show. no no this what's this called <laughs> oh yeah there we go give them, not give them a philosophy uh give them a philosophy i like it now um <laughs> yeah there were a lot of suggestions about like along those lines kind of plays on uh i give them an yeah, argument yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, well, the, um, the Substack is called, uh, philosophy for, for the people. I'm actually not totally sure how we should, uh, how we should brand this yet. This is obviously early days. Uh, the, uh, as people can see, I haven't even set up, uh, like the, uh, like a recorded space in my new apartment yet. I'm I'm not going to be permanently on the, uh, uh, on the headset in front of uh, in front of some some kitchen shelves. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like the decor. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe I should. But you know, the plan was to you know set up a nice place with the the nice microphone and the green screen and all that stuff. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe for this, I'll just stay in front of the kitchen shelves. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, think, I think I think it would look good just if it was more like face on. I think there's something which where kind of when the camera's coming up at you, it kind of looks like you're um, like getting into yeah, if, if you the, don't really want. So if I could just get the angle, like uh, yeah, get yeah. the computer elevated a little bit. All right, this is good. This is, uh, uh, yeah, this is fascinating, I'm sure, to uh, to watch or listen to uh, us, uh, us having a production meeting about exactly where the camera should be. But, um, but yeah, right. So is there... Uh, is there a object, you know, is there a Steph bed object that's, that's constituted by, by the two of us or oftentimes 
people who think that there is that's combined with this four-dimensionalism about time, which is the view that, you know, what we think of as the past and the future and the present all equally exist in some sense. So, you know, it's like, is there an object that's constituted by Stefan and also Julius Caesar and, uh, and, and also the last living uh, Tyrannosaurus? Uh, is, uh, is that like a particular object? Uh, what would it mean to say that there is or is it? So yeah, uh, that's kind of fun. I'm not sure how much I have to say about that. So uh, so I don't know about. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think the two of us would probably agree on some kind of boring, like pragmatist physicalist idea of kind of it's an object if we think it's useful for it to be an object, right? Yeah, maybe right. That's a that's a good question. I think. Um, I mean, I think there might be some sense in which I guess sure, right? I mean, there's like a. There's sort of no point to uh, to highlighting all of the other ones, but I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. It's been so long since I've thought about this. I'm not really sure what's at stake in, uh, in whether we yeah. say. Well, that that's the thing with philosophy; nothing has to really be at stake. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is a good this is a good entry point, maybe. So because uh, your other example was about teletransporters. Uh, so there's this whole there's this whole genre of thought experiments about uh, personal identity that like if um, you know if you were offered a, a trip to Mars and the way it worked is that there's a uh, that you walked into the teletransporter station on Earth that it took an exact uh, molecule by molecule scan of your body and destroyed your body in the process and uh, built out of local molecules on Mars a molecule by molecule and crucially neuron by neuron. Uh, replica Stefan. So uh, when uh, when that person was up on uh, on Mars, from their perspective, they would remember stepping into the teletransporter station on Earth and stepping out at Mars. Would that in fact be you, or would you just be dead? And that's that's a that's a, a different person. Uh, and and I think this is actually uh, I think that's actually kind of a fun one. Like, because uh, there's definitely more fun than biology, but also. Uh, also, I think there are some interest, like there are some interesting issues that are that are raised there. Like, um, right? I mean, this stuff kind of you could like not kind of the teletransporter. I think that that's uh, basically physically impossible. But mm -hmm. people's idea of kind of like mind uploading, and if you have like a very kind of generous, you need a very generous idea of personal identity for something like mind uploading to work. Yeah, in the sense of it kind of taking transporting kind of your personal identity and that's kind of so kind of other ways we can kind of survive our bodily death which kind of the nerds that have recently been like like embezzling billions of dollars uh they they think that you can and they have this yeah. very generous idea of personal identity as well as kind well, of they've got the, like, and some of the weirder effective altruism freaks have become the long-termists where like they explicitly believe that all that matters is that we maximize the number of like disembodied minds living, you know, full rich existences uh, in, yeah. uh, in their post singularity computer form, you know, billionaires in the future. Um, and, you know, and, and, and basically anything that happens right now is balanced out, you know, if we, uh, if we have enough of them. But yeah, look, I, I think that, I think there are actually some, some issues of, of real human interest there. I mean, about, um, whether that would be you, even the teletransporter example, I think that um, I'm often fa fascinated 
by how many students will say no that wouldn't be me on mars i would just be dead right that would just all right I, I'm, I'm definitely if you're wondering i'm like i'm be, that's not me i'm dead personally. yeah yeah well i'm fascinated by how many people and i know this isn't you but how many people both say that's not me i would be dead and also say that it's entirely possible that after they die they will still exist in heaven right. or perhaps be resurrected after Jesus comes. Well, obviously, uh, my soul is there's my soul is made of molecules. molecules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess kind of you get teletransported and the person on Mars is soulless. <laughs> like kind of yeah, the, maybe, the, right? the, the system can't handle that. It's too complicated. Yeah, and then uh, and then like the, you have people who are, um, you know, the uh, I'm spiritual but not religious person who thinks, well, that's silly, but uh, you know, I might be like reincarnated into a new body. It's like, okay, so now you're talking about something that's neither physically nor psychologically continuous with you. you, you yeah, you don't like what exactly has carried on of you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I think that. I think that more broadly, again, you know, this is why I did want to stress that kind of double meaning of um, philosophy for the people, because uh, I would, you know, I would kind of broadly expect as a rule of thumb, like maybe once every other or so, right, you know, of um, uh, essay on Sunday to be, you know, broadly Marxy uh, in its its content uh, to have, uh, in other words, to have something to do with, uh, you know, not necessarily Marx specifically, although often, but like, you know, political philosophy in general. Uh, But, uh, but then I also, so that's going to be definitely quite a bit of it, you know, but also, you know, philosophy for the people in the sense of philosophy in general uh, for, uh, for, for the people. Uh, But but you do want to have some kind of bound of like, relating to real human concerns yeah i i want it to be stuff that is going to be interesting to people who aren't just uh, like you know i i have uh i mean look i can remember being a graduate student and, and, and finding muriological composition which is the issue we were talking about earlier fascinated i'm not quite sure i could recapture that feeling uh, <laughs> and, uh and, I, and i think that I'm not sure that the typical reader is necessarily, you know, going to going to find it fascinating. So yeah, I, I want there to be, I want there to be some sense, generally speaking, for most of this that like this is this is going to you can sort of see why this would be, it you know, interesting. Let's just let's just use that word that they have a that it's not um, not necessarily that everything has to earn its keep by being politically or even morally relevant. Um, but that the but that there's that there's some sense in which like oh you could you know I mean Edward, whatever I reserve the right to like do one of these about time travel paradoxes someday because that's because <laughs> that's fun and I want to do that but they have a uh, but in general yeah I, I would like a focus to be on things that you can you can sort of um, you can sort of see in some broader perspective uh, why that would be something that um, something that somebody would find interesting in other words like i think the typical um you know philosophy journal at least the kind of philosophy journal that uh i mean you know to be clear there's a kind of philosophy journal that i would flip it open and and you know look at the 
uh, titles and be like, ooh. Uh, but, uh, you know, the kind of philosophy journal that my particular training and inclinations would lead me to, uh, uh, to, to be able to open up and, and sort of get everything that's going on, um, is going to have quite a bit of stuff that would not pass that test, right? I mean, it's, it's going to, because, uh, uh, in fact, the incentives of academic publishing really reward that, that they, right. uh, that, you know, you want to, like the like originality above all else uh, is uh, is rewarded, but also you need to, you know, you need to be talking about things that you know other people, you know, on your tenure committee, for example, take seriously. So you know, so you have to find things that are um, have already been a whole bunch about, but you know, but you're making some really specific new point that intersects in some way with everything that people have said before, which you know kind of ends up slicing things uh, thinner and thinner oftentimes kind of the point of absurdity. I mean, like, I think in general, um, what we broadly think of as analytic philosophy, which is a term that maybe has limited utility and, and doesn't cover everything that I'd want to write about uh, anyway, but, you know, but there's a broad, okay, you know what I mean, sense in which we could use that term. Like, I think um, the good thing about it is that there's this high premium put on clarity and rigor mm. and good things, uh, and they should have a high premium put on them. But then the bad thing about it is that there's this weird kind of misplaced science envy, maybe, where you right. end up um, like sort of mimicking the structure of scientific research that, like, yeah. science, you know, science journals, it's all like, you know, like, oh, well, you're, you're just, here's my, you know, here's my article. So, you know, about the results of this. Previously, thing. we were only 96% sure that the muons did the muon thing, but now we're 98% sure. Isn't that <laughs> fucking sick, bro? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but like science has an excuse to be like that because it all actually adds up to uh, significant advances in knowledge cumulatively. And the thing about philosophy is that it really doesn't, right? I mean, that's, right. that's just not how it works, you know, that the... Uh, that like oftentimes you, know, you could make a you know a really narrow point, and it's just a really narrow point. Like that's uh, you know like like it, it might or might not have the slightest relevance whatsoever to uh, uh, to to like a larger, more interesting one. And generally, probably you know generally probably not. You know, so so I think that like because I'm not interested in just. Uh, you know, in some cases, maybe you'll have things that could almost be journal articles if they're presented differently or whatever. But because I'm generally not interested in just, you know, I don't want to write journal articles and put them on Substack. Like, that's what's the point of that, right? The, I, uh, I think today's is very far from a journal article. Yeah, it, today's is very, very far from a journal article. And has lots, um, of, lots of cute photos of uh, Ben's Chinese students. So you could click on it just to see the cute photos and, and Ben also posting, posing by very Chinese looking marks. That's true. <laughs> yeah, there was a, uh, there was a picture of the, um, yeah, the philosophy department. They, uh, they had all of these, uh, they had all of these stylized portraits of historical philosophers. So I asked them to take a picture of me in front of the Marx one. <laughs> they're, uh, they're making a big push in China at the moment to hire more Marxism teachers. Well, I will tell you what. So when I was there, so I, I start out today's by uh, by talking about this this class at David Hume that I taught in China in 2018, and um, it was part of this International Education Weeks thing where a bunch of uh, a bunch of Western 
professors came to teach these like one credit summer classes and <coughs> um and there was this uh and there was this guy there who was like a marxist anthropologist and he had heard that people had to take marxism classes at the university he was like fascinated by this right what do you you know what do you learn in marxism class you know what's what's what, what is that like and um he uh and I also say, so separate from this conversation, even one uh, one student I heard said that the uh, at least the, you know maybe this I don't know if this is accurate or not, but they said that they uh, they don't need to read uh, Marxism the Marxism classes because the uh, the Chinese Communist Party has uh, you know <laughs> distilled and perfected this in a way that makes that unnecessary. But, I mean, that, uh, that's kind of the analytic philosophy kind of aspiration, right? <laughs> that no one really needs to read Aristotle or Plato because we've we've made the best summaries and you can just read them. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Uh, I, mean, I actually think there's a you know interesting question to be had about uh, you know whether some version of that is like you know I guess maybe at that point you wouldn't call it Marxism anymore, just be scientific socialism. But like yeah. whether whether that actually should be some an aspiration, but. Uh, I will say, so this guy managed to get a meeting with a couple of the Marxism professors, and there was like a student there to translate, and I typed along to the meeting, and um, it was the weirdest thing, because like the, you know, the anthropologist, like Western Marxist anthropologists kept trying to get the guy to talk about economics, and uh, and, and he it was kind of weirdly reluctant to do it. Right. He said a couple things that were not in any way, shape, or form to the left of uh, what you would expect a Paul Krugman column. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, about like the you know real economy and stock bubbles and stuff like that. Uh, and um, uh, there was somebody at, at one point, the student translator, because like the conversation was so unclear, sort of interjected and said that she felt like the two big things she'd gotten out of her Marxism class were about um, were about like uh, what did she say? It was like individual, like sort of uh, uh, like like hard work and a good individual ethos and building up the Chinese nation. You know, those two concepts okay. Marx is constantly talking about. Uh, hard work in Chinese nationalism. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so, a lot of hard hard work in capital. <laughs> a lot of people work a lot very hard in my book. I'm reading it, sure, yeah. Uh, parts of it are much easier to read than others, but yeah. The uh, And then the last thing you said before, uh, I don't remember, somebody had, you know, uh, at least one of us had to like go teach and we had to end the thing, was that he uh, he volunteered a political opinion. Which is that uh, he liked uh, he liked Donald Trump more than he liked Obama because he seems like a strong leader. <laughs> Based, but we aren't here to talk about Karl Marx and his existence in China. At least today, we're here to talk about Hume, who yeah. was an 18th century bourgeois philosopher. Yes, which is a uh, a sentence from one of the students' uh, term papers in China. Um, Karl Marx, you know, David Hume, was a bourgeois philosopher. In, uh, in the 18th century. Yeah, so uh, and I want in particular to, to think about these two essays that he wrote for uh, this this book that he put out, I want to say 1757, called, uh, well, it was originally five dissertations, and, but it ended up being four because he, uh, at the last minute, decided to take these two out and then he put in uh, his 
was a natural history of religion essay to replace them, but he said in a letter to a friend that uh, he took these ones out out of abundant caution or abundance of prudence, I think was the uh, the phrase that he used uh, because uh, he he was worried that the uh, uh, this church assembly in Scotland would would uh, would officially label him as a heretic, which I'm not quite sure what that would have entailed, but I'm sure nothing good. My uh, in in high school, my Catholic philosophy teacher kind of made fun of Hume for not willing to come out and just say he was an atheist. Uh, but I, at the time, I was like, well, probably had fucking good reason to, mate. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure Hume was exactly an atheist as we would think about it today but he's certainly nothing like a Christian. Um, if, you know, so what he does, uh, he has these dialogues concerning natural religion where, um, you know, the sort of generally accepted reading, I think, is the, the person who's expressing the most skeptical views is the one who's saying what he actually thinks. Right. But, you know, there's some, there's some plausible deniability. It's a dialogue. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, you know, didn't say player. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, talking. Yeah, this. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair. yeah, that's true. It's very true. Um, but um, but what that character is saying is he's like, look, I'm sure something or other must have um, brought ex some sort of external force or another must have brought the universe into being, probably. Although he hedges even that a little bit, but he's like, yeah, I guess, right? But then, like, why well, think that it's this. Um, loving personal uh creator like like you guys think because it could be anything right i mean like like, like what, what's the uh why not a committee of gods actually like if we see something really complicated then we we don't normally assume that the that it was built by one person we assume right. it was built by a committee you know why, why is this different maybe it's uh uh and look this world seems really impressive but it's the only one we're familiar with so maybe this was like the 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 first uh, knockoff yeah, maybe this is a knockoff. Maybe this is the first attempt of like a young god who hadn't quite gotten it right yet. You know, uh, maybe this is a particularly sloppy example that like continues to exist because it's being held up for ridicule. You know, like like who uh, who knows? Uh, and uh, my favorite line, which I I quote in the essay today, uh, there's actually a weird in philosophy from the 1700s. There's there's more shit about aliens than you would think. Uh, <laughs> That's the scary spider aliens. Yeah, in this case, he says, well, look, if there was a whole uh, planet, you know, where that was inhabited by uh, by by sentient spiders, which he actually says this, there might actually be out there somewhere, uh, then doubtless they would think that they were created not by the kind of God we're imagining because we're the sorts of creatures who design and plan things. And so we imagine a design and planning God, but they would imagine the cosmic spider just mindlessly you know spinning out uh spinning out universes and uh that's really no none of these things i mean a lot of these things seem silly to us uh because they're so culturally alien but i mean if you take that out what's what's to make any of these a better explanation than the others so he's not if he's not um if he's not quite a an atheist um you know if, if only because he's you know he's living um, you know, died several decades before Darwin and even longer than that before sort of modern cosmogony where you you'd think about the Big Bang and the multiverse and stuff like that, you know. So he's probably giving 
theism um, more do right than somebody with his inclinations might have later on. But you know, but he's he's certainly nothing like a believer. All right. So these these two these two essays, I should say, to I, I mean, this is what you were asking about earlier, right? These two essays that he took out, which are the two that I'm talking about today, are the ones about uh, suicide and uh, and life after death. And you know, if you read them, you get a sense very quickly of why he, you know, why he why he had second thoughts about publishing them. <laughs> and and there's, there's a link right there because obviously uh, the traditional kind of Catholic idea and Christian idea is that if you kill yourself, you go to hell. Mm-hmm. And it's like a real, a real bad one, killing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, and obviously, very inconveniently, you, you can't beg for forgiveness after you've killed yourself because you're already dead. It's too late then. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting in itself, right? I mean, why is it that, uh, like, why is it that you can, if you just continue to exist in a different state, like, what's the what's the principal justification for you know you can. Um, yeah, why can't I ask for confession at the gate of St. Peter, you know? Yeah, right. At that, point, like, at that point, I'd be really contrite. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like you know, why? what's the justification for this is the, this is the allotted period uh, for, uh, for, uh, uh, for, you know, asking yourself, asking for forgiveness, throwing yourself a Right, you, you get like three score and ten to kind of sort <laughs> out what's going to happen to your immortal soul. And then it's kind of one of two options. And if you fucked up, then that's it. And you haven't fucked up, then all's well. Yeah, but like you can fuck up within the three score and ten, and then ask, uh, and then ask for a second chance and have that be granted. But um, for some reason, at at, at three score and eleven, uh, the you know second chances are gone. You know, which, which seems <laughs> which seems odd, just given the whole idea that you know God is is. Uh, you know, infinitely loving and merciful, and you know, and, and all about, uh, and all about the second chances. That the that this is the, you know, you only get the second chances while you're while you're still attached to the meat puppet. Otherwise, no. Right. Or you know, in the ver- in the views where you're resurrected physically, you know, you know, you only get another first round. You know, there are no there are no second round, second chances. You know, seems seems awfully arbitrary. But one of Hume's big objections. Um, is that uh, which will anybody who's ever uh, who's ever seen the show the uh, the good place uh, I've, I've always wondered if, uh, if if this inspired a plot pointed there um, is that he thinks that um, that a perfectly benevolent being wouldn't just sort everybody into two possible destinations because uh, it says most of us float somewhere between my <laughs> And you can't, um, and so, you know, why why assume that everybody is either good enough for the good place or, or bad enough for the bad place? You know, he's, he says in the, the, you know, my favorite sentence from that essay, you know, that if you'll go about the world trying to separate the righteous from the wicked to give, uh, uh, to, uh, to give the righteous a good supper and the wicked a good beating, uh, you know, then the more you talk to people, about each individual person, the better you understood them, the the less easy it would be to sort out which one was which. Right. And I mean, you kind of highlight the objection from someone in your class who was an evangelical, mm-hmm. who basically said, no, actually, the, the situation is that we're all wicked. And it's it's yes. quite it's 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 not it's quite easy to sort us in the sense that we're all all wicked. 
and that's yep. kind of the the my Catholic thought was something similar, which was to say, kind of like, you know, we are kind of wicked, but at least according to Catholics, it's really easy to get into heaven. In in a, in a very significant sense, in that basically you can do whatever you want, uh, if you, if, as long as you've kind of discharged your sins at the end, in in a genuine way, in kind of you actually do believe, then it's off to heaven regardless of what you've done. So it's actually really easy to get in, basically. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but I should have mentioned it before. But the the Church of England they mm-hmm. do actually think that you get another choice after you've died. Oh, interesting. So, so they think it's really easy to get into heaven. And they're also a lot annihilationists mm-hmm. who think hell is is permanent separation from God um, in the sense of not of you being somewhere else, but in the sense that your soul is just annihilated. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, they've, they've really softened up over the centuries. The original, uh, originally the Church of England uh, has was it these 39 39 articles with some number of articles of faith um I, I don't actually remember what the number is anymore uh, but uh, uh that were like this I, I think this like weird compromise that queen elizabeth oversaw between you know people who wanted to who wanted it to you know stay more theologically catholic and people who wanted to be more protestant or whatever and uh and and I think one of those is uh, that you know purgatory, which is the sort of original second chance idea uh, that you know that you get well you you have to serve your time you know but like yeah. if you're if you're not super bad you know like you you could still eventually make it into heaven you know you just have this sort of pseudo hell for a while uh, that this is like a wicked popish idea there's you know there's no such thing you know so originally they're very intense about this that's not that's nice i mean it's, it's it's it is hard to it is easy to forget rather that england and britain used to be a really intensely religious place that i had the first bourgeois revolution but this was a bourgeois revolution which came out like of a very strong christian and especially in scotland things were very intense for a very long time which is why mr hume didn't want to publish these essays <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah right. Uh, right. The uh, yeah during that bourgeois revolution, it was so intense that they uh, they they actually waged a war on Christmas, but just from the opposite perspective of uh, of the war on Christmas that's typically imagined by American evangelicals. Right. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, so that makes yeah that makes sense. Uh, and, and I guess you know what, what I want to say about this is this is actually like. You know that evangelical student. This wasn't at Chidos at Rutgers, but uh, you know I think that guy makes a good point uh, that this this is uh, you know like whereas folk Christianity on a on a popular level uh, does tend to um, revolve around the idea that you uh, that uh, well you're you're sort of rewarded or punished for how good or bad you are um, the what would be regarded as doctrinal orthodoxy historically by, by most branches of, of Christianity would be the idea that everybody deserves to go to hell. And it's, it's a, it's an act of divine grace that, that God um, allows some people to, uh, to escape what they deserve. I mean, there's the really, there's the, like the really grim version of this. Anybody who's ever seen the, um, 
uh, the the horror movie The Witch, you know, the the Vivich, uh is kind of how it's spelled. Uh, there's there's this really intense scene with uh, this uh, uh, like Puritan settler uh, telling you know having like walking around hunting with his son, and the son asks him if his baby brother who just died is in hell. He's like, I don't know, maybe. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, God has, you know, decided that some people are part of the elect and they don't have to go to hell even though they all deserve it. And, you know, and, and yeah, maybe your baby brother was, maybe he wasn't, who knows, you know, I, and there and are shades going up to, I mean, I think post-Vatican II Catholicism almost does shade more into the popular conception because there's this weird idea that you... Uh, uh, that even though, you know, Jesus says that the only way to the Father is through him and all that, you know, that they, that, well, maybe some people like subconsciously accept Jesus, you know, and we can tell because they're like good enough. Right, and they have like, a, they have an explicit Jew exception too. Yeah. <laughs> where they're like, we don't, we don't know how it works, but God is not to be made a liar. So clearly the first co- covenant still exists. We don't know how that works. We don't know how someone can be saved apart from via Jesus. But God is not to be made a liar. So the first covenant is an effect of Jesus saved. We don't know how it works, but they are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but but I think this is a I think this is like a real flaw in the uh, in the essay. <laughs> he doesn't address this point more explicitly. I think that the I think that. Maybe he just thinks the idea that that every you know everybody deserves it you know uh, is just sort of self evidently ridiculous. Uh, right, because the, the problem is kind of justifying why anyone would deserve it. Yeah, the traditional right. description of hell of like actually being like because again like Catholicism hasn't quite endorsed annihilationism uh-huh. in the catechisms. They're like the, the bad, the really bad thing about hell is that you're separate from God, and you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right uh i mean it'd be fun to think that like what that meant is just like that um it's yeah hell is just like this you know it's like this that there's no there's no visible there's no like obvious manifestation of the existence of god but like yeah. you're just living a normal life <laughs> there's fucking dinosaur bones everywhere <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, so you're just you're just kind of like out and about, and you know you're you're going to you know you're going to restaurants, and you know you're you're going to work, and uh, uh, but it's just like you know you, you don't like you just you know you're just missing out because you're not like the uh, yeah when you when know. you when you start thinking about it a little bit like a bit of your heart hurts, but that's it basically. <laughs> but over yeah. with, of course for the consequentialist over over an infinite time that's infinite pain, so it's still just as bad as anything else. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a that is a fun. Yeah, that is a that is a fun consequence of consequentialism. That if you have like a, if you have like an afterlife, uh, where where like your ankle kind of hurts, but otherwise everything is fine and right. it lasts forever. That like that actually works out to be just as bad as yeah. uh, as like the classic hellfire. Uh, version of yeah, that the, 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 the one from less wrong is like a power tower of three beings who have like a little bit of dust in their eye <laughs> yeah right I, I mean it's 
Yeah, that's that's straight. Like, but yeah. So I, I mean, and I do think, and I, I will say, I mean, just in terms of you know my own uh, moral intuition about this, for whatever it's worth. I mean, I've always thought the idea that literally anybody would deserve uh, eternal punishment was insane. That like, if it's um, you know Jeffrey Dahmer, Hitler, Genghis Khan, you know, that like um, surely even the most hard-hearted human after a few trillion years of torment would be like, okay, let it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's the one when it comes up on Arsene's philosophy where I'm like, I do know a fair about, amount of this, but I can't really provide any really good reasons for why, you know, you could go along with it. I think the, the Catholic thing and kind of the Anglican thing is to say like, it doesn't really happen to anyone. Right. But then like, why does the whole kind of structure exist? Yeah, right. Why, why did you Why did you bother with hell if, if you weren't gonna If you weren't gonna put any souls in it? Um, but I think it's just one of those things where it's written in the Bible quite clearly that at least something significantly very bad happens. Like, mm-hmm. and the, the weakest you can kind of weaken that to is annihilationism, um, which is fine, I guess, in the sense that you know God will just make more souls. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a a drama for any kind of liberal Christianity. Do you think it's fine? I mean, I wonder about that because, like, I I have to say, um, you know, and I I mean, look, I think that's what's actually going to happen. That, right. um, <laughs> but if God is around, it seems kind of mean for him to do it to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I think it's going to happen, but I'm not looking forward to it. You know, I, I I'm like against it. You know, I, I, right. I mean, I, I guess I was taking kind of a, the point of view of the universe kind of consequentialist. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter as long as there's a new one that comes along. But obviously it would matter to the person it happened to. Yeah, from my point of view, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's like what's the, the old uh, Woody Allen quote, you know, I don't want to live forever through my art. I want to live forever by not dying. And I mean, I think this is a, a, a great point to transition to talking about suicide, which is something which really matters from kind of whose point of view it happens. And Hume kind of tries to talk about it from three different point of views, which is well, mainly through God's point of view, but also kind of the point of view of the person who does it to themselves and to, to the perspective of others. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Hume, um, and one, one thing I should say that's interesting about both of these essays is that even though he does have, I mean, you read the dialogues concerning natural religion, he does have this sort of general, um, uh, you know, he does have some like pretty deep skepticism about whether anything like, you know, God as we would conceive it, whether there's like any good reason whatsoever to believe that that sort of, that sort of being exists. Um, never mind that he was, you know, going around revealing himself in burning bushes in the Middle East, you know, a few thousand years ago. Um, and in um but nevertheless, in both of these essays, he sort of bracketed off those doubts and being like, okay, whatever, like I'll, I'll, I'll give you, like, let's assume that this all works the way that you think it does more or less, right? Uh, even given that, would it make sense to, to think that, um, that there's this heaven-hell scheme for the afterlife? Or <laughs> you know, given that, uh, you know, does it make sense to think that we're sitting against God if we, if we kill ourselves? And as you say, when he's he's sort of considering the idea that suicide would be really bad, uh, he's he 
his reasoning is, is more or less, okay, well, look, if you're doing something wrong when you kill yourself, it must be either that you're doing something wrong to other people, that you're doing something wrong to yourself, or that you're doing something wrong to God. And he kind of goes through them one at a time, and, and he thinks none of the above. Now, the place, I should say, where I expect most, um, you know, I mean, look, if, if, you're a, if you're a deeply religious person, you, um, you know, there's, you probably disagree with him about the God part, but if the, uh, but if, uh, but even if you're a 2023 secularist, uh, you will definitely find stuff to disagree with this in this essay. I mean, I do, you know, not for any sort of, uh, you know, brilliantly original reason, but just because like, I, I sort of have boringly standard 2023 views on this. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, suicidally depressed people uh, are, ex- you know, experiencing a psychiatric problem and, and will benefit from from being helped in their interests uh, to uh, to to not do what they you know they, they want to do right now and and you know and all goes well. <laughs> what hopes you know? Well, thank you later, right? You know, for uh, yeah. for for you know making sure that they didn't do it. You know, I think it's good that if you're an institution and you try to kill yourself, you're put on suicide watch. I think it's good if you're standing on the bridge, then you know they'll they'll be you know cop trying to talk you down or whatever, right? I mean, do something other than be like, go on, son. <laughs> Good for you. Try not to aim at anyone. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, they're like, don't, don't kill yourself in the train tracks. That'll slow down everyone else. Kill yourself somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, right. Imagine a society where you just had PSAs, like you know, be considerate and kill yourself in the privacy of your own home. Uh, yeah, I mean, so like Canada soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Canada's uh, Canada's is is uh, does seem to be further along the um, the track of like a dystopian science fiction movie from the nineteen seventies that I would have expected. But uh, you know, I mean, it's it's just it's very it's, it's very Nietzsche is right kind of thing. We're just being consumed by life denial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's um, you know, I I I guess my inclination is just to sort of see it, you know as a uh you know as as a pretty extreme manifestation of of neoliberalism in a few ways maybe um both in terms of like the obvious that you know you don't want to just like fund better services for people uh, but uh but also just this kind of like you know everybody's this little atomized individual and you know we're not going to um uh we're not going to make more of an effort than that to help people um but um, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, moving moving back from whatever's going on in Canada uh, to uh, uh, to 18th century Scotland, um, I think that you know, I like the difference is that Hume, just like he's living, you know, pre Darwin, he's he's obviously living pre Freud. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's he's living before anything like. The sort of conception that we would have now of depression and mental illness and you know and all that was was on anybody's lexicon. So I think he he doesn't give the he doesn't give the the option where you're doing you know like doing something bad to yourself right. nearly as much credence as he probably should. He's he's kind of a he's kind of like an ancient Roman about it. 
but that said, uh, and I also think he's uh, a little superficial about the, you know, doing something wrong to others. He, he, you know, I think he has a better case there, but he's still, um, you know, but like you can tell that's not really where his interest is. Like where where he uh, where he really wants to to hone in is on the God part. That you know that he really wants to dispute this idea that uh, that you're uh, that you're sinning against God uh, when you uh, when you kill yourself. And most of the essay is is spent on that. You know, is, is spent sort of considering like, okay, well, let's let's uh, you know, let's cons- like let's think about this conceptually. Like, like why exactly would this be a transgression against God to do this? You know, how would this be a transgression against God to do this? Let's look at the evidence a little and, and see if it it looks like you know God is taking great care to make sure that each one of us lives for as long as possible uh, to you know to see if we can glean any of his intentions from that. Um, and and he has and this is the part where I I think he's I think he's just right. I think that he I think that his case against the idea that you're um, I think even given the assumption that God exists in the sense that people standardly think, et cetera, et cetera, I think the case he makes against the idea that you're, you know, sitting against God, you know, when you, uh, when you kill yourself is pretty persuasive. I mean, I guess the, the problem for me was reading it, it kind of as kind of philosophical exercise where we yeah. kind of remove our, ourselves from kind of, actual kind of lived theism it makes sense mm-hmm. that obviously how how can we know what would be god's plan or or what would not be god's plan like mm-hmm. obviously events happen constantly um tiny kind of things that we do in the past can come like make people in the future not even exist so how can there be specific plans about people in the future and, and blah 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 but i think the the problem for if this essay was because obviously this essay is going to be read by people who are Christian theists in the 18th century was that kind of we aren't ignorant we think about what God's the specifics of God's plans are right because we have scripture and we have the church right who reveals particular facts about kind of which things are against in general which are things are against God's plan and which are not yeah I mean I think it probably does help that at least he's writing at a um, you know Protestant society because yeah, I mean, if you're Catholic, this is this is sort of a boringly straightforward question in some ways that the uh, that uh, just like you know the Holy Spirit gave us the scriptures, the Holy Spirit operates through the teaching office of the church, and so um, you know we don't we don't have to like sit around trying to puzzle out what God wants. You can just you know just to be just brutally and crassly simplify how all this works, right? Just just you know. Just ask the Pope, right? You know, he'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, but basically just ring up God and ask or, or read <laughs> something he's already published, you know? Yeah, 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 which is not like, which is not just like a one time, you know, he wrote this one book a couple thousand years ago and then that's that, right? You know, it's, it's, it's the, the right, as, as we mentioned, God is not to be made a liar. So if he's ever said it, then it just counts. Yeah. And if, and there, there are encyclicals and church councils that, you know, that, that, you know, that are also supposed to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So you could, so yeah, I think you could probably dredge up a lot of evidence fairly easily there. Um, the now, um, you know, what Hume will point out is uh, there's nothing, at least in the New Testament, that directly speaks to this issue. 
Um, and you know, he doesn't think the Old Testament exactly does uh, either, although you know he is fairly superficial on that. I mean, you know, there's like a footnote uh, on, uh, on on the Old Testament part uh, where he kind of says, "Look, I don't really think any of this means that you know uh, it's wrong." But even if it was, why do you care about that stuff anyway? You guys aren't following all the Old Testament laws, you know. Like this is. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> like you know, God, like God, uh, you know, God sent Jesus to to you know do away with all that anyway, right? Uh, so, um, so he, so he claims at least that the the scriptures, um, the scriptures don't establish this. And then, given that, well, if if the scriptures don't establish this, and if we don't believe in uh, in this whole edifice of um, you know, of like continuous, you know, church to, you know, like if we actually believe that, uh, that, you know, Christians should have this more individual relationship with God, whatever that, uh, you know, and it's a little bit complicated. I understand because at least the, the established church in England sort of thought that it was sort of still semi-Catholic, but like, whatever, like they have a, like, I think the Protestant stuff does give him a little bit of an opening here. Yeah. To, to say no, you should be figuring this out and whatever. He's also, I point out, writing at a time in the 1700s when uh, there's a lot more um, kind of like, look. I mean, just even the fact that yeah, he was worried that this church assembly would condemn him, but like it hadn't happened yet by 1757. Like, like he'd been he'd been writing all this stuff, you know, for, right. for the longest time, and uh, uh, and you know, whatever. I mean, he was a little careful about which parts. You know, he said explicitly or not, but it's not like people didn't have a general sense of where he was coming from. Right. And, uh, and and he hadn't been, you know, and he hadn't just been like killed as he doubtless would have, you know, like a couple centuries before, you right. know, for, uh, for, for anything approaching this. You know, he's living in a time when there's a lot of uh, philosophical and theological speculation and a lot of a lot of attempt to just sort of figure it out that, that you know, I'm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure 99.9% of people in this time and place would have thought everything you say was completely ridiculous. But like he has, um, but but there is a little bit more of an opening for the sort of exercise that he's he's doing here. Is sort of saying like there are a lot of people sort of saying things like, well, you clean out God's intentions by using natural reason and, and try yeah. to uh, try to see you know see what the natural law is and all this stuff. And and he's. And he's kind of looking at this and he's saying, okay, well, do any of these things, uh, you know, make sense. People will say for, I mean, I don't think this is an example I even talked about in the essay, but like the people will say, for example, well, it's up to God to decide how long you live, that you're like usurping God's authority if you decide for yourself how long you're, you're going to live. And he points out that there there seems to be an odd double standard here because because why is you know why is it that well you would have continued to live for longer if you hadn't done something is uh, is usurping God's authority but you would have lived for a shorter time if you hadn't done something isn't usurping God's authority so he uses the example of like ducking to avoid a falling rock you know why not just say well you know I guess God decided. That now is my time, and you know, and I should be. Yeah, I mean, I should obviously living in an era where capital punishment was basically just seen as universally acceptable, mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. as opposed to other forms of kind of interhuman killing, is something which isn't forced by any kind of like immediate circumstances, but it's kind of like a deliberate decision at a particular time 
a particular place to to end a human life mm -hmm. and so it seems does seem very um a serpy yeah <laughs> yes absolutely which uh yeah i mean i guess give uh well give the 21st century catholic church credit for being more consistent on that one um yeah. obviously not for you know the overwhelming majority of the history of the church but uh, for uh but right now uh and 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 many other and many big protestant denominations right now but yeah 1700s I, I think uh being being opposed to the death penalty would have been an awfully marginal position like, yeah i think people would have just seen it as a bit bizarre they're like do you want us to build prisons <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be terrible <laughs> are you gonna make us invent the police <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like oh my god i mean how many and we you know like yeah, we've got like a few towers we can stick people in, but like, and you get like, what, like what kind of infrastructure are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Here? You, 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 we're going to create a, a permanently kind of alienated, violent force who will like imprison people and keep them locked up. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and even um, I mean, even the nineteenth century. I think John Stuart Mill says somewhere <laughs> that uh, the like that the death penalty is justifiable because it's more merciful than uh, than keeping people in prison for their whole lives. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, and so clearly there are, there are contexts in which, you know, the sort of standard views that, you know, package of views that he's arguing against would allow for, for ending life early. And certainly there's the, there's the idea, uh, there's, you know, certainly the idea that you can, you know, intervene in order to, uh, in the course of events, to preserve life is, right. um, you know, like just about universally accepted. I mean, yeah, probably not a lot of uh, Christian scientists also in the uh, um, in, in Scotland in the seventeen hundreds. You know, so I mean, I think medicine was probably also universally regarded as fine. Uh, and, uh, right. And that's and that certainly attempts to you know to to preserve it and and there is a question that I mean some of what he says gets into about this because you know I think one objection you could make here is well okay look um, you're not wronging me you know if I have some piece of uh, property and you see that it's about to be damaged and you you intervene to protect it you're not wronging me but if but if you um, but if you just break it you know, yourself, yeah. that, that you are wronging me. So maybe it's like that, that, you know, that the God, uh, you know, we belong to God. And if you uh, preserve, um, you know, preserve us, then you're not doing anything wrong to God. But, if, you know, but, but I wonder about that because it does, um, it seems to me like if something is, is yours, um, then, part of what that standardly means is that sure you get to keep it if you want to keep it but you also get to you know you also get to uh consume or destroy it if uh if you want to do that in fact oftentimes that's the point you know if i have a if i if i bought a nice bottle of scotch and you you know you you found a a, a locked box to put it in for me and, uh, and and I didn't have a key, you know. Then, then you would be, uh, then you would in fact be wrong in me, you know, because because I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to, uh, I wouldn't be able to consume it. And of course, you could say, yeah, yeah, but come on, man. The obvious disanalogy is that, you know, is that 
that there's no way, you know, God is all powerful. You know, there's, there's no way to stop him from, from ending somebody's life. Okay. Hume pr presumably say, but God is all powerful. So what, why did that cut both ways? Why is it that like, yeah, God really wants you to, to preserve your life. You know, he'll be able to do yeah, that. I mean, God, God's God sent me a message that I need to fucking kill myself, brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just thinking about kind of like the, the Seneca view on things, right. Mm -hmm. Which is you, you, what you take to kind of be Hume's view that we shouldn't just be killing ourselves. Right. But rather, there's kind of a point where you progressed life if far enough, you've achieved whatever significant things, and you get to a point where you're like, my life isn't really worth continuing for my sake and for others' sake, so that I kind of may as well kill myself. And I think on kind of just like if we're just thinking through like kind of the existence of, of a God who gives us certain capacities or whatever, and without getting into kind of scripture, or the the encyclopedias of the Catholic Church or whatever, it Hume's probably right that it doesn't seem self-evident that God kind of gave us the capacity to kill ourselves, to, to kind of consciously think through killing ourselves. Um and that we that we should never use that capacity, right? Um it, it seems like a capacity which plausibly is is one that we should use at some point, you know. Yeah, my uh, so you mentioned Seneca. Um, my so there are all these different Stoic philosophers who weighed in on this question of like what would sort of be the cue from from God, nature, whatever that your uh, that your time has come, that you're done. And there's a there's a great um, there's a paper about this by M. J. Seidler. I just looked it up again. Called Kant and the Stoics on Suicide, where it quotes a bunch of these people. And most of them, it's like, well, maybe if you have some incredibly debilitated injury or, you know, you've been like captured in a war and you're going to be sold into slavery or whatever. And then it ends with a quote from Epictetus who, uh, who uh, said that uh, he would die for his beard if, uh, <laughs> if his beard was going to be shaved off and kill himself, uh, which is maybe an extreme view, uh, although I'm not unsympathetic. But, um, but yeah, it's so... So, so Hume's point about this is that there's this very popular idea that, well, God wants you to, uh, to preserve your life pretty much no matter what. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll make an exception for, you know, the only way to preserve your life is to, you know, tell the Romans that you've renounced Christ or whatever. But like, you know, by and large, God wants you to preserve your life no matter what. And people will often express this. And I think there's like a secularized version of this that persists in the thoughts of a lot of people who would think of themselves as religious today, which is, uh, oh, suicide is the coward's way out, you know, that you have, um, which, you know, I think the, at least the original religious version of the thought is, well, you're given this certain set of trials to bear and in life and, and you have an obligation to to bear them that you, you it's... right if you if you're about to have infinite good life it seems a bit kind of weak to kind of be like oh i can't be asked to do 70 years before infinity i'm going to do 40 you know like just fucking man yeah. up and do them yeah 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 exactly um and so hume talks about this desertion metaphor that people use that's like well you're you're like a century has deserted your post if you if you kill yourself before 
your time is done. God has put you in a certain set of circumstances and, uh, and you have to just, uh, and you, and you, you owe it to him to stick it out. And, and he, and this is where he makes a very Seneca-esque comment about like essentially, okay, but wait a second, but once you get to the point where it doesn't seem, you know, worth living for various reasons, like why is it that God recalling you from your station? Um, yeah. And, and he sets this up as, as a dilemma uh, because says, okay, here's the real question. Is there, is there anything that people can do that, um, that will mess up um, that will mess up God's plans? And he spends a lot of time on this, uh, you know, whatever people can, people could read the, the essay for, you know, me talking about it there, but like, you know, about the sort of idea, well, look, can, can you, know, you mess up God's plans for the world in general. And he gives all these reasons to think no, but they think, okay, well, what, forget the world in general. What about God's plan for your specific life? And he says, well, hold up. Now, like, let's really hone in on this. Does God have a plan for your specific life? And mm. here's the question. Is it possible that voluntary human actions can mess up God's plan? And if so, why assume that God even wanted you to exist in the first place? Could be that God's plan was that your mom was going to be a nun. Um, could be that God's plan was that she was going to get together with somebody else, you know, not your dad, you know, et cetera. Um, and on the other hand, if, if it's, um, if nope, every single one of those things was divinely <coughs> preordained, uh, it's not possible, you know, for, for us to, you know, for anything to happen that would, uh, that would make it otherwise that the people who God wants to exist, exist at the time he wants them to exist and all of that. It's like, okay, well, once you get that level of uh, divine determinism, then why is suicide is an exception? Why isn't that God just recalling you from your station? I mean, I guess there is maybe a distinction to be made between going, like, kind of messing up God's plan yeah. and going against God's will or God's kind mm -hmm. of notions of how things should go. Like, obviously, we aren't capable of catching God by surprise, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but if God has any rules, then kind of it's sort of it's almost necessary for us to be able to go against them, right? Um, yeah. So I think that there's a, there's a question here, like, if you say that when you kill yourself, you're sinning against God, then there are at least two ways that could go. One is that like, there's some reason that, um, you know, there's some reason that God would want you to do this, that like, there's a, there's like a, a reason that this is bad for God in some way for, right. for you to, for you to do this. And then the other one is just, you know, God doesn't need a reason, you know, just, just the, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. You're you're a kid, and your mom has told you to you know take out the trash. It's like don't don't ask why, just do it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's you know you could just think that well, arbitrary like divine will can just be completely arbitrary, and it it still it still has moral force. You're still doing something wrong if you uh, if you disobey it. Not not just, and I think that's what we need to be talking about. Not just like unwise 
that like in the right. same way, like not doing what Stalin tells you is unwise, you know, but, uh, but right, because it, you can get into the, the game of it being like, well, I'm doing the thing so I don't go to hell, which just seems a completely un unconvincing. Like if, if like, at least according to what Catholics say, I don't know what weird Protestants yeah. say. If you're do if you're trying not to go to hell, if you're doing the things you're not meant to do because you're trying not to go to hell, then it doesn't work. Like it doesn't count. You have to believe it properly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last week, I I don't even remember the name of the song, but I was I was with uh, I was with my my younger brother, and a bunch of Christmas music was played, and there was that song with that lyric, you know, uh, and it wasn't you know his his. Not Santa, right? He's making a list. He's checking twenty, you know, right. twice. And says, you know, so be good for goodness' sake. And David, think quite correctly, said, "Hold on, that's not for goodness' sake." Then, like you, you just said it was so. You know, you end up on the good yeah, yeah. list. You know, that's that's the opposite of doing it for goodness' sake. Um, like you're you're doing it for the sake of getting presents uh, and not cool. But yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, and, and I think you could like really illustrate that most vividly by. Um, imagining that we live in that we're not actually lucky enough to live in a world that was created by a all pkg all powerful all knowing all good god but you know we're uh you know we we got the peg one right you know the the all powerful all evil or no P, <laughs> pke pke uh powerful right. known evil god yeah. and he's gonna he's gonna punish you for for not going along with his you know his program of universal, you know, murder, rape, and torture. Um, that, you right. Know, that he, you, God, God's plan is for you to make as many as those of those like cannibal hornets as possible. And if you're not <laughs> making more cannibal hornets, you're a sinner. Yeah, exactly. Um, and say, well, okay, look, if you are unlucky enough to live in this universe and you realize that you're living in this universe, then uh, then yes, it would be very unwise uh, for you not to get with the cannibalism, but. Um, but it, it does seem wrong to say that you would therefore be doing something wrong if you're right. if you're not getting with the cannibalism, and and so I, I think what people really have in mind with this transgression against God stuff is is that you're you're doing something wrong by by not following the commandment, and and so then that could you know that could either just you could either just sort of do straight divine command ethics that it's like well what you know. Things are things good. Things are good because God wants them, and they're bad, you know, because God doesn't want them, uh, and and that's where it bottoms out. Um, or you could, or you could say, um, you know, or or you could say no, no, no. There's like a specific reason why it would be bad in terms of your right. Words. I mean, kind of if if God existed, yeah, um, and He was all good, and kind of was all knowing. And presumably yeah. he would know a lot about ethics sure. and, he, and he would be honest about what they actually were and they, he would tell us. Um, so I guess that's the kind of rationalist Catholic thing of why you should pay attention to all our scriptures, you know? Um, yeah, no, I, I think so. I, I, like that makes perfect sense to me. Like, like I think I, you know, it's, it's fine to say God, <laughs> you know, at all PKG, God would have more information than you. Uh, about about morality, so a really good way of you know a really good shortcut for finding out you know what's what's right and wrong is to read the Bible, you dingus. Yeah, exactly. That makes you know that makes sense. Uh, now, 
I would uh, I would suggest at the uh, at the admitted risk of sounding like a mid two thousands new atheist that uh, that if you actually take the advice uh, you're going to you're going to be very confused. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but yeah, that like the structure of the view makes sense to me, you know, but, but if, yeah. um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's consistent with saying, well, no, just, just God happening to have this arbitrary preference isn't good enough to, um, to make something uh, right or wrong. And, you know, there are these very well-known problems with, with saying that it is, it is good enough uh, to uh, to make things right or wrong because you know if say yeah well what about the cannibals and thing you know if uh, they, you know would, would that you know would that therefore be good and if you if you think as most people do when they hear that um, for the first time oh well now that's just silly because uh, you know sure you can play this little logic game with this hypothetical it's nice but uh, but uh, but God, God would never command such a horrible thing, you know. So, so this is a ridiculous. I mean, example. Don't, don't lots of don't lots of evangelicals when given the example just go like, yeah. Uh, sometimes, yeah, I, I have I have definitely met some some very steely eyed bullet biters on that, you know, that they right. uh, say, you know, will <laughs> say yeah, and then I'm not quite sure what to do with that, you know. You're sort of presented with the same problem. Uh, that you ever are when you're you're engaged in a discussion about morality with with somebody who's just sort of um, who's who's just like really at the end of the day, you know, just just has um, yeah, they they just they just they just think uh, think things. Well, I like, mean, at that, at that point, they're saying basically, well, I'm going to let someone else decide for me. In which case, yeah. you know, can I talk to them instead of you? <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, exactly. Um, well, you can when you die, but it'll be too late. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, that's the, yeah, exactly. I think that's the, um, you know, that's the the problem with that. I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, I, I will say just kind of like dialectically, my feeling is that when I'm talking to somebody about a moral issue, they just like very clearly express when you sort of dig down into it, it's like, it's like, okay, well, if that were true, then this other horrible thing would be true. And they're like, yeah, it is. What do you want? You know, then like, I sort Close of, plan. Yeah, yeah. I sort of see that as, as a, as like, you know, tactically <laughs> as, as sort of a good thing, you know, cause, cause then like, okay, I, I obviously can't persuade this person, but at least anybody who's watching uh, with, with less sociopathic, uh, underlying views, you know, will right. perhaps you know see where the uh, see where the path of sin leads, and you know reconsider. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, no, I, I think um, you know, and I, and I think this does get to you know sort of the point that the essay ends on, which is I think a really a really crucial issue, which is you know that there's um, there are all these responses over the years that that people have have done to this, uh, this essay where they make like half a good point and the yeah. half a good point is, well, hold on though. If Hume is right about all these arguments that suicide can't be wrong because it's transgression against God, then wow, we can just start applying this to everything. Right. I mean, nothing, nothing is wrong. Cause it's a, you know, like, right. like no, nothing can be sinful. Cause, um, you know, if you have, uh, like, 
I don't even remember if this is from one of those essays criticizing Hume, where I'm, I'm just repeating something a student once said, you know, but uh, either way, it's a good, it's a good example. So I'll just run with it. Um, which is, you know, he has this line about how, well, hold on, if you're not uh, messing up God's great plan for the world by diverting the mighty river uh, to irrigate a city, uh, then are you really doing it by, by diverting a few ounces of your blood? And there's this very rhetorically powerful response to that, where, which is where you say, well, come on, dear buddy, uh, let's think about this. Why not just use this to justify murder? You know, like, right. like why can't I? You know, what's the big deal about diverting a few ounces of my enemy's blood? Um, and, but then I say it's like, yeah, the reason I think this is half a good point and not a whole good point is that, yes, absolutely, uh, a lot—not everything, but a lot of what he says would equally apply to thinking that the thing that was wrong with murder is that it's a sin against God, but also go right back to where we started um, about how deep the skepticism was running here. I, you know, he might not have wanted to publicly admit it in 1757, but I think that, uh, I think that Hume, given this objection would have been, you know, and feeling like he could speak freely would say, yeah, now you're getting it right. Like nothing, yeah. nothing is wrong because it's a transgression against God. Things can be wrong because they're transgressions against other people. Um, right. And I mean, that's the kind of um, unfortunate position you are in listener. Um, unlike the Catholic Church being right, where you could hear advice from God on what is right and wrong in ethics and politics and so on. Unfortunately, in your case, in the world we live in, you have to listen to us too. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that will, will sets up well kind of um, the, the, the project on the Substack. And I hear that we there isn't kind of an external force which can tell us these things rather based on kind of our human desires and wills we have to work these things out for ourselves yeah exactly i think that's i think that's a really good place to end it i think that's a really good way to put it um you know i, I think that this is uh i mean i think some people hear that and I think, oh, like they're sort of, they're, they kind of hear it as this kind of, uh, you know, hubristic, you know, like, mm. like, like, you know, humans are brilliant to so figured everything out, but it's like, no, it's kind of the opposite. It's like you're, yeah. you're in uh, <laughs> with this really unfortunate situation where a lot of these things are incredibly unclear and you, you have to think hard about them. And even when you've done it, you're, you're not, you know, you can't be sure that you got it right. You know, you're just, you're just sort of doing your best. Yeah. But, but this does maybe get to the point about how, you know, I mean, look, the one next week is going to be about uh, about G.A. Cohen's criticisms of Rawls, which is the kind of core stuff that I think people who know me from other contexts would more expect me to be talking about. Uh, but about why I, I see all of this stuff as this sort of, um, all of this kind of broader, uh, broader human interest, because, because uh, you know, if you, uh, if it turns out that these things, that like a lot of these things are these like giant question marks and you just kind of have to muddle your way through as, uh, as best you can, you know, like it's uh, whatever else you want to say about that, it's at least interesting. Right. <clears throat> ben, is, is Rawls original position like reverse heaven? <laughs> <laughs> it's a place you go before you're born to sort everything out. 
Yeah, no, I suppose it is a little bit is a little bit like a reverse heaven, um, and uh, and you're not you're not uh, you're not there because of the choices you make in life. Right. Uh, the you know <laughs> you're, you're making choices about how life is going to be, but you know not exactly for you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I like it. I like it. It's good. <laughs> So yeah, next week we're going to go to reverse heaven and see, check it out from a Marxist angle. Yeah, sounds fun. Cool. See you then, guys. <laughs>